Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Well, one of the things that, as a pastor, I, I learned at some point, I was kind of surprised by it until I really thought about it. And that is as I listened to the story of somebody talking to me about coming to church, coming to church for the first time, hearing the message, uh, coming to understand, trusting Christ, uh, and then going forward, but still having problems in their lives, still having things maybe they struggle about really trusting God with, uh, understanding what's, how am I supposed to, all these kind of things, but having this feeling that everybody else here doesn't have any of those things. Looking around, all these church people, none of these church people have problems. They got it all together. They don't have any doubts. They believe all this stuff, and why, why don't I? And there's a fear to admit that, right? How, how do I admit that? But what they don't know is that in the chairs around them and in the people they pass in the foyer and maybe say hi to back and forth, that in their lives, and not everybody, we're all different places, different experiences, but I guarantee you, you pass people who have had lingering doubts and they still haven't worked through it. And what they're struggling with is the idea of how do I admit to all these Christians around me that I have doubts when none of them have doubts. I'm the only one that has these doubts. Sometimes doubts about big things, sometimes small things. And then there are Christians who really have believed God, they've lived that way, they've trusted God, they've experienced the truth of his word, the reality of his presence. And, but then all of a sudden one day something happens it could be an offhanded comment that somebody makes, or it could be a huge life-crushing situation. And for the first time, maybe in a really long time, all of a sudden they say, wow, this isn't working. And doubt springs up. And when we begin to feel doubts as Christians, I mean, the Christianity is a walk of faith, isn't it? It's a life of faith, right? It's about believing God and living your life that way. And then when all of a sudden you find yourself struggling sometimes with, wait a minute, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't know about this. It really puts us in a turmoil. And then we start thinking something's wrong with us. And worse, we start thinking, well, maybe something's wrong with this whole thing that I'm believing. And the sad part is there are times when people, whether they've been Christians for a long time, we described the news is they, they throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and walk away. So it's really important that we understand uh, what this whole idea of believing God is about, how it works, what, and what about the doubts that we find ourselves having, and how do we deal with them, and what's the source of those doubts, and can we fix them can we you know, get rid of those doubts? How, how do we deal with these things? And have a very realistic, biblical view. By the way, sometimes we, we you know, feel and I hear it, well, you know, a biblical view, a biblical way of looking at stuff, well, that's unreasonable. 
It's not realistic. Well, let me tell you something. This is, I'm just, and if you aren't there, you aren't there, and that's okay. I get that. But there is no more realistic view of the world than the Bible gives. Any other thing, any other view of the world besides what God says is not realistic. It's a mistake. It's not right. It's not true. But so I really want to focus in on dealing with this, this area of unbelief that, and like I said, you may be here today and you say, well, I just don't struggle with that. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, one of two things are going on. Either you really understand and have a biblical worldview of life and you've, you've worked through all that stuff or you're out of touch with reality, one of the two. And I'm just gonna say this now because I think there are times when people who have doubts who persist in following the Lord, persist in seeking the Lord, in spite of their doubts, may actually have a stronger faith than the person who never gave it a thought. Does that make sense? Okay. So, also let me say, starting today, it's a four-week series we're in on this idea of unbelief, um, that there's a real high likelihood that today you will leave with more questions than you had when you came in. That's not a bad thing. When you're dealing with the right kinds of questions, you get the right kinds of answers. So let's look and see what God has to say about this subject. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> okay, I tell you what, you have to excuse me one moment, I'm gonna get a clock. The clock up here has stopped. It tells me that I still have like 45 minutes to preach and I just don't believe it. I have some unbelief about that. Okay, that makes more sense. All right. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. It's page 1163, the Bible that's in the chairs there. And if you don't have your own Bible, we always encourage you to take that one and follow along with us. In this story, um, what has happened here is Jesus has uh, taken uh, Peter, uh, James, and John, and uh, gone away privately from the rest of the disciples and has connected with God in such a way that somehow there was a, a, a visible manifestation of the glory of God in his life. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. But these three disciples saw him with this great glory that, wow, he is God and the amazing things that they saw there. And so they ask him some questions and, and, and he's answering them for them. And then they come back to the rest of the disciples. And that's where our story picks up. Verse number 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Okay, so there's big stuff going on. Uh, and Jesus obviously doesn't know what it is yet at this point. It says, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. So Jesus is famous, right? People have uh, heard amazing things about him. They've seen him do things that uh, they had to be miraculous. And, and so they see Jesus, they run to him excitedly. Verse 16, and he, Jesus, asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? He wants to know what's the issue here because he wants to be able to speak to the issue and not only to the scribes, but for the sake of the disciples. But the scribes don't get to answer. We don't get an answer. We ultimately don't know what they were talking about. Verse 17, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Now, um, just so you know, this, this idea of a spirit here, we're talking about um, 
demons, okay? And if that's a new concept to you or, or wow, that sounds like some movie, I never heard of that kind of stuff. The Bible teaches us that uh, when Lucifer chose to rebel against God, that he drew a third of the angels away with him. They followed him in rebellion against God. And so they are unholy spirits. They are bad angels, evil angels, and, and we refer to them as demons. So calling him a spirit, a mute spirit. So this, this, this boy is possessed by a demon that has made him mute, unable to speak, and seemingly unable to hear as well. Okay, so this has created problems in his life. By the way, just let me say to you that Satan never has good in mind for you. And to whatever extent you allow him into your life, he's going to do damage, okay? So this young man is experiencing this. Verse 18, and when, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So he brings them to Jesus. Jesus isn't there. He talks to the disciples and asks them to cast it out, and they can't. Now, they had done ministry before where they had cast out demons, and so I think they were probably surprised, and the rest of the story we see that, they were surprised that they weren't able to do it. Verse 19, he, Jesus, answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Um, these, there's, there's some places like this in the Bible that I am just um, find so insightful. We see the humanity of Jesus. Did the disciples get everything right away? How many times did Jesus have to tell them things? How many times did he have to remind them? And next thing you know, they're back at it again, whatever they're doing, right? And he says, remind them. And so he's, he's, he's talking to his disciples here. They couldn't cast me out. He says, faithless generation, where's your faith? How long do I got to put up with this? How long I got to be here? And I, I don't think he's so much frustration with them as much as he, he has this sense that he was in heaven before and didn't have to deal with this. But anyway, so he points out, we see his humanity here, okay? And he says, bring him to me. Verse 20, then they brought him to him, brought the young man to him. And when he saw, when the young man saw him, Jesus Immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This demon inside of uh, this young man all of a sudden knew who he was in front of, the very son of God, the enemy. And he wasn't wanting to let go. And so he grabs this boy hard and takes him down. It's a challenge to the Lord. Verse 21, so he, Jesus, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Remember what I said about any time you allow Satan access to your life in some way, it's never, he never has good desires for you. And then he says this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, who was he talking to? Who was the man talking to? The Son of God, God in human form, God in the flesh. And what does he say to him? If you can do anything. Now, I don't think, he wasn't trying to have that front, and he probably didn't fully understand who Jesus is. But Jesus makes it real clear, really quick, that it's not a question if I can do something. 
see his response. First of all, he said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe. So it's not if I can do anything. The question is, can you believe? That's the point. Because if you believe, then whatever needs to happen can happen. Now, just let me uh, take a, a little bit of time here and address this verse has often been taken out of context and misused by preachers and ministries. It is not telling us here that if you just have enough faith, you can get anything you want to happen. That's not what he's saying here at all. When we understand something in the Bible, it has to match the rest of the Bible. It does. Okay, and so what, what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, anything that needs to happen for you to be able to do what God wants you to do, anything that needs to happen for God to be glorified in your life, anything that needs to happen for you to follow me and to be the kind of Christian that you ought to be, any of those things, if you can believe, then those things can become a reality in your life. Whatever needs to happen will happen. If you need a miracle, I'll work a miracle. If you need some insight, I'll give you insight. If you need a friend, I'll give you a friend. If you need money, I'll give you. You see what I'm trying to say? There's nothing that you need either to have or to have happen that is unavailable to you if you'll just believe God. And we're going to talk about what that means. So let's continue. Verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out, and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. All right, so this man, has he had a hard go of it with his son? Do you think he has ever asked God to heal this young man before? Do you think he's ever looked for a solution to this problem? Yeah, and he's trying to connect with God in this and what's going on. And you know, he doesn't have all the answers in it. He doesn't quite know how it works. And he's quite emotional here, isn't he? He cries out. This is a cry of almost anguish and, and uh, desperation. And he said he cried out with tears. He immediately broke down because what had Jesus just told him? Hey, if you can believe is possible, and he knows what is possible, it's possible that your son's problem could go away. Wow, okay, Lord, I, I do believe, and then there's this what? There's doubts that jump up and say, I know these, maybe I don't believe enough, I, and I know there's areas that I doubt and all this, and I don't wanna be the reason my son doesn't get healed. Oh God, help me, help me, help me with his unbelief, because I really do believe, but I got these things that nag at me and won't let go. Can you relate? Anybody? Whether it's in the area of belief or all sorts of things, it's, it's, it's yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I do believe this, I do wanna do this, I am going to do this, but man, you know me. You know me, God. Help me. And so this is where this man is, and he's talking about belief, this whole idea of believing God. 
When Jesus saw that the people came running together, and this is about to become a big scene because they heard the man cry out. My, my sense is that Jesus had kind of walked away with the father just a little bit and was talking to him. And then they hear him cry out in anguish and the crowd turns and comes. And so Jesus says, we don't want this to be a big sensational scene here. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And interesting, that's the end of the story. We don't hear anything more about it. We don't know how the man responded. We don't know anything else. But the disciples talked to Jesus, verse 28. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And when we go into the Gospel of Matthew and look at the parallel story, because this story is told in the Gospel of Matthew too with a little different perspective and a little different uh, material that's there, Jesus tells them, you couldn't because of your unbelief. You really didn't believe sufficiently. And he said, if you had just a little faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, Big things can happen. And then he adds, nothing, you know, this, this kind comes out just by prayer and fasting. There's another level. So let me say this to you, that in the area of faith, it isn't like either you have it or you don't. I mean, there's some sense you might say that if you're saved or not. But after that, as a Christian, you still need to grow in your faith. You need to continue to grow in your faith. And what we see as the disciples here, even though they had faith, they did believe God, they didn't believe him sufficiently to be able to do what they needed to do. Well, so just a few observations here. Uh, and the first, the, the, the big observation is this. Whether or not you believe God really, really matters. It really does. And I'm gonna try to use the terminology as much as I can instead of talking about your faith in God, because that kind of makes us something out here. Really, when we talk about having faith in God, we're talking about us choosing to believe God. I believe God. And so, whether or not you believe God really, really matters. Believing God is how you demonstrate faith. That is a demonstration of faith. Now, it matters to God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six, it says, but without faith, is it, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe that he exists. Okay, that's kind of a duh thing, right? Okay, but you have to believe that he exists. That's the starting point. And then you have to believe that he's worth seeking. He's worth knowing. It will be worth it. And so we, we move in this direction. But without faith, it is what? impossible to please God. So this question of us believing God or not really, really matters. And not only to God, it matters in our lives. It matters in what we experienced. What did the disciples experience? Their ability to believe God affected what they experienced here, and it wasn't what they wanted, and it wasn't what pleased God, and the end result was not good. They weren't even able to help the man. How about the man? Did it make a difference in his life, whether he believed God or not? Yeah, it did, and so it will in ours whether we really believe God or not. 
Very important observation. It really, really matters, this issue. So we have a goal for today, a goal for today's message, and that's that you would get a good practical understanding of what it means to believe God. A real world kind of thing, not some highfalutin spiritual sound and definition thing, but no, just a real good solid understanding of what it means to believe God. And that, that means you would have a genuine faith, the kind that pleases God. And you, you need this. You need to understand this. You say, well, I already do. Maybe you do. But you know what? You know somebody who struggles, right? If you don't struggle today, you know somebody who does. And you may very well find yourself at some point in the future struggling. So these things really, really matter. Now, I've often said in, in the preaching, and I said it on Easter Sunday, I reminded you again of this idea of, a, of believing God and a living faith and what does that mean. And there are two concepts that come together in this idea of believing God. There's a concept of truth and then there's the concept of trust. Those two things, and both of those have to be combined for you to believe God, for you to have a genuine faith. You have to know certain things and conclude that they're true, and then you have to make a decision to trust those things. So, so let's talk about these two concepts a, a little bit here and make sure that we're understanding what we need to. Well, what do we mean by truth? By truth, we're talking about having an accurate understanding of the way things really are. The way things really are. Truth is a, a way of looking at something, a view that actually corresponds with reality, okay? If I look out here today and see that, wow, strange thing today, you guys all have big green pointy ears. Now look around, does that look like what to you? See, that wouldn't be true, would it? because what I'm thinking and saying does not match reality. Okay, so that's what truth is. Truth is an understanding or a view or knowledge that matches the way things really, really are. And it's, it's a crucial part of believing God. Okay, let me give you an example. So here's this chair. All right, and so if I'm gonna have a truth about this chair is that it is here. Okay? It is here, it's designed for someone to sit on, and it's designed strong enough to hold me up. Those things are true. So if, if, if I act consistent with that, what do I experience? I experience that indeed it is true. Now, what if the reality was that this chair, that the welds were broken on it, and I didn't know that? But I think that it's fine and I go to sit on it, what's gonna happen? Boom, we're gonna hit the ground, right? Oh, because what I was thinking was true wasn't really true. And this is important to understand. When we start thinking certain things are true but aren't really true, eventually it doesn't work. Eventually we end up with a problem, okay? Uh, so let's think about then in a more spiritual dynamic here. What if I believe that God's primary role in my life is to keep bad things from happening to me and make me happy? Now we chuckle at that, but you realize there are, that, that thought is there 
in a lot of people. It's in a lot of you, even if you think it isn't. Now, let me tell you how that is in you. It's because when bad things happen, you start saying, well, why did God let this happen to me? What did you just reveal? That you believe God's job is what? Not to let these bad things happen to me. So if we believe things like that, okay, God's job is to not let bad things happen and keep me happy, then when bad things happen, and they will, and when all of a sudden I'm not happy because that is going to happen, see, it isn't working. Why isn't it working? Because what I was thinking is true wasn't really true. It was inaccurate. It doesn't work. And so this idea of believing God, if I am trying to believe God about something that really isn't true, it's going to fail at some point. It's not going to work. And then I am going to have doubts. Okay? And there's two ways to go with that doubt. One way is to re-examine the belief and say, hey, maybe I was wrong about what I was believing. But the problem is that so many times what people do instead is they say, wow, I don't know if I believe God anymore. God let me down. And out goes the baby with the bathwater. So this idea of truth, if, if we're going to believe God, it is really, really important that we have truth. We need to realize that there's a high likelihood that every one of us here has some things in our lives where we think, we think something is true, but it isn't. You know, we've heard things from other Christians, we've heard things from preaching, uh, we grew up with certain ideas and thoughts, and it's a high likelihood that every one of us has some area of our lives where we are believing things that aren't really true. And so it's gonna create a problem. So we need to be in a process of continually doing what? Evaluating what we believe. Looking at what we believe and, and, and lining it up with the Bible and say, wait a minute, is that what the Bible really says? And by the way, where this shows up is in a lot of Christian cliches. A lot of cliches that we throw around when, when bad things happen to people and, and those kinds of things. So, all right, well, let's, let's, let's move on. So we had this idea on Easter Sunday, we talked about Jesus rising from the dead and the fact that, that, has, that you can conclude that Jesus rose from the dead without having any faith at all. Okay, you can. It's a historical, it's objective historical stuff. We can do the proof, we can look at it and conclude historically that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. But it's not sufficient. That's truth. And we know that truth. But it's not sufficient. Hebrew, excuse me, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if, thou, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, wait a minute. If I already know for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead, what, why do I have to believe it in my heart? What's up with that? Isn't knowing it enough? And we find out when it comes to believing God that knowing it is never enough. Knowing the truth is never enough. You have to choose to then trust that truth. And so the idea is this. Okay, I objectively see that Jesus did really rise from the dead. I don't have to have any faith to conclude that. There's the fact. I know it. And God says, okay, now, are you going to trust me to live like he really rose from the dead? Are you willing to step out on that? And trust me, are you willing to believe in your heart what all this means? Because there are a lot of people who would say, yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but they aren't believing God. 
They aren't walking by faith. And so truth, truth has to be connected with trust. Where we choose to trust to God for this. All right, if since this is true, then I trust God in it. So let's use the examples again here. Well, let me, let me just say this. So a decision, trust is a decision we make to align our lives with what we have concluded is true. A decision to align our lives with it. It's a choice to surrender to God in everything related to the matter. Trust is an act of the will to embrace the truth and what it means in our lives. That's what trust is. And again, we have the, the example, the idea of this chair, okay? If I have the truth that it will hold me, I mean, it's designed to hold me, that's what it's for, it's strong enough to hold me, and, uh, but I, I never sit in it. Do I really believe it will hold me? Well, I know the facts. Look, I can tell you the facts. I can give you the specs and talk about the design and all that. Well, then why don't you sit in it? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> you see how we have the missing component, don't we? We have the truth, but there's no trust. And it's the same idea with the gospel, right? We come down to this understanding that we have all sinned and that it separates us from God and we're on our way to hell because of it, but that God loved us and sent his son to die for our sins he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, rose again from the dead, he's alive, and he offers to save us. And we can say, okay, I know that, I know that, I know that. I know the truth here. But knowing it is never enough. Can, can you say that with, you don't have to say it loud, but get that in your mind. Knowing is never enough. When it comes to believing God, knowing is never enough. And so what I have to do then, okay, I understand Jesus died for my sins and he offers me to save. All I have to do is acknowledge I've sinned and then I have to do what? I have to trust him. Okay, I'm going with you, God. I'm going with this. I'm, I'm aligning my life with it. I'm, I'm gonna align the things that I think with it. I'm gonna align my, and so that's what we do. It's like acknowledging that, that God's word, the role it should have in our lives, that this is what I need to know to understand what's true. I need to know to understand how to trust. I need God's wisdom. I need to understand what's right and wrong. I need to understand how he works in my life. And I know that. So I arrive at that conclusion. I know it. But if I don't pick up my Bible and open it up and begin to take it in, see, I haven't chosen to trust. I only know. And knowing what is never enough. We have to choose to trust. Very, very important. So truth and trust, we need both. Uh, both, and they each affect the other one because if you trust in things that aren't actually true, you're gonna end up with doubts because it's not gonna work. If you don't trust the truth, you may end up denying the truth because when you consistently don't trust it, eventually you will start to conclude, well, I don't think it's really true anyway. Get you to a bad place. And it's not unusual for Christians to get stuck or even excuse themselves because they have some kind of misguided understanding about belief and about faith. So let's get real here with it. It's always a challenge to try to come up with a simple way of saying things, but here's what I'm gonna say. What, what are we talking about, this real world view of faith? and believe in God. 
Believe in God 101 is what I'm calling it. And here's what it is. It's choosing to trust God to live by whatever he says is truth. Choosing to trust God to live. Not for God to live, it's for me to live, okay? I'm, trusting, I'm choosing to trust God that I am going to now live the way he says is true. To live consistent with the truth. Now, that's not some huge, deeply spiritual thing, is it? But it has huge spiritual ramifications. And let me say to you, this to you, that if you struggle with believing God in this way, that God is ready and willing to help you with it. But very simply, this is what it means to believe God, to choose to trust God, and so that I'm going to live by whatever he says is true. And what this leads us to is an exciting upward spiral, a growing spiral, upward spiral of faith. Uh, Jesus talks about it like this in John 8, 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Abide in my word. In other words, you know what I've said, and you have done what? You've chosen to trust. And he says, and when you do that, he says, you'll be my disciples indeed. You will be, your deeds will match up what you're saying is true. And then he says, and then you will know the truth. I said, wait a minute, I thought I already knew the truth. I already knew the truth because that's what I, I, how I chose to live. Yeah, but do you understand? You are going to know the truth more clearly. You will know the truth more powerfully. You will know more truth than you knew before because it opens the door to this upward spiral of faith when you, when you choose to trust what God says is true and it, it, it grows you and then you see it more clearly and then you choose to trust it and it's an exciting thing when, when you start to live this way. But what if you're still struggling? I mean, isn't the fact that I just said those words, doesn't that solve all your problems? No, no, some of you just nodded. <laughs> it didn't solve all your problems. The fact that I said those words, they're true words, but what do you do if you still struggle? Well, do what the Father did. Let's go back to Mark chapter nine here. Mark chapter nine. Remember, he says, hey, Lord, if you can do anything, Jesus says, if you can believe, it's possible. And immediately, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're struggling, this is exactly what you want to do. First thing you want to do is say, Lord. He is Lord, right? I am not. You are Lord. You are who the Bible says you are. You are the one who I need to trust. You're the one I need to believe. You are Lord. And so there's this submission, surrender. I'm not going off doing my own thing. I'm moving towards you, God, Lord. I believe, he says. My guess is that there are some things that you do believe. Even if you're struggling, there's some things that you do believe. Hang on to them. Go forward with those things that you do believe. Lord, I do believe. Go forward with that. Then be humble honest with yourself before God, I need help. Help me. Help me with my unbelief. Face up to your doubts. Don't, don't deny them, don't hide from them. Don't think if I just don't think about them, they'll go away. 
Be honest about it before God. Let me ask you a question when you read the story. I mean, sometimes we think, how can I? I think sometimes people think that you have to come, the only way you can come to God is with great faith. That's not true. Come to God with little faith and say, oh God, I don't have much faith here. I'm struggling. And what'll God gonna kick you out? Come back when you got some faith. No. We come boldly before the throne of grace to find help and grace in time of need. What I notice in this story is Jesus doesn't seem overwhelmed at all by this man's confession. I mean, do you think he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus went, oh. No, he didn't. He already knew. He knew what this, where this man was at. God knows where you're at, but you need to know where you're at right in front of God, with God. So just be honest, open. And what happened here? What was the end result in this man's life? His son was healed. Was it because he had such great faith? Hmm. I don't know. But his son was healed even though he was honest about the fact that he struggled with unbelief. Because God is good. God is faithful. Even when we struggle to believe. So connect with him, approach him about it, be open with him about it. And God will help you grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you deal with such practical matters in front of us that the things that we might struggle to believe, Father, just don't hinder you. They hinder us, but they don't hinder you. And so we wanna come before you today and be honest and open about where we're at, and if things are going great, to thank you for them. But if there are struggles, Father, to be just open and honest with you about them and look to you. But I, I pray we would do it from a place of saying, Lord, a place of surrender, a place of a desire to believe the way that you want us to. Help anyone here today who's struggling with this. Maybe the person who's struggling to finally make that decision to trust your son as Savior. But work in our lives here, Father. We need you to. And you're worthy of the change that you can bring about in us. I pray it in Jesus' name.